Hello, and welcome to February's tarot offering, which is about subjugation schema, um, and it's called Who in the World Am I? Uh, which is quite fitting for this month's schema, because it's about finding it difficult to set boundaries in your relationships and kind of losing your identity in the process. I'm obviously summing it up very quickly there, so let's go. <laughs> Creator David Lynch has talked in depth about dream souls that wander and dance in faraway places. I like to believe that this means we can touch things we often dismiss as impossible, that we could caress the precious material of other lives, bodies and minds, that we can swim in a fresh ocean of images, saving us from the ones we play on a loop to drown ourselves in. The Quran states that from water all life comes. Neptune, the ancient god of waters, is associated with the Piscean myths that are an expression of our inheritance, of the images, stories, traditions, feelings and dreams of our parents and all of those that came before us, from the old countries, the old stories, the old belief systems. To its watery core, it's about dissolving in images of suffering and redemption, the moon. Pisces symbolizes the endings and beginnings of things beyond us, of losing ourselves in situations and dying in them to be reborn into the group consciousness, death. Jessica Duray, in her book Tarot for Change, has written that the transformative process the death card alludes to is not exactly a day at the spa. In Twin Peaks, Agent Cooper says something that has stuck with me, especially in relation to this month's schema, subjugation. What I want and what I need are two different things. This is important to keep in mind when we consider making valuable but difficult changes in our lives. This offering marks a year of me freewheeling career-wise and going it alone as a freelance writer and tarot reader. It's been a crazy trip, sprinkled with moments of dread, doubt, and wonder. So, let's just start skimming the flesh off the bone for this month's schema. I'll be going briefly into my own experience, rifling through the romantic dreams of a Roman emperor, and revealing the holy ground beneath the sorrow and pain of a female wrestler turned writer, AJ Lee. Both my parents have depression. And as a child, I learned to regulate my emotions whilst holding trauma and guilt in both hands. I often sacrificed my needs to take care of them. I fostered the fear of abandonment and being unlovable if I didn't put most of my energy into what they needed from me. Some days, I didn't even know what was real or not, what was false, what was embellished, what another river of thoughts could even sound like. It took time for me to realize I hadn't much knowledge of how to set boundaries in any of my relationships. 
These patterns reverberated into my twenties. Every job I took, I was slipping on a familiar cloak, patterned with behaviours, mine and others, that I was used to. I worked for people that made me feel I could never do or be enough. As a consequence of me not being aware of this pattern, I felt stuck in a life trap. I used to maladaptive daydream my way through life, waiting for a miracle to pluck me out of an oppressive lifestyle. And I want to stress this next part, that I had helped build the walls for in my adult life. I felt that I had no control over anything and developed an addiction to take back a morsel of what felt like control and happiness. But the reality was far from that, if I'm honest. I tolerated racism, sexism and humiliation in most of my jobs, but most of all, I didn't know what I wanted. Hence me now working harder than I ever have to untangle myself from a flock of work systems I kept in place, fracturing my ability to lead a life for myself. This affected all of my friendships and romantic relationships. After more than 10 years of this, and losing someone I cared about more dearly than I could ever articulate to them at the time, I was done with this way of living. Choosing to wake up from the nightmare, I stopped blaming my external circumstances and understood that no matter how hard I worked to please others, I would always be feeding a beast that would never be full. I lived in a cavern of resentment and anger that plunged me into private, isolating chambers. I felt disrespected daily and could never see my efforts amounting to anything. I wasn't going into situations wanting to be oppressed or hurt, but I was acting like that was the inevitable anyway, which can often result in the recurrence of unhealthy dynamics, regardless of conscious intent. Tolerating guilt and fear in order to break out of the life trap of this schema is a way to forge a path into a life that you feel is more balanced. No one says this is easy. And if they do, seriously, good for them. <laughs> life can feel like a prison. Subjugation is adaptive. And while as a child, you don't have a choice, as an adult, you more than likely will have. In all my jobs, I had a choice to leave, even if it meant turning everything I had ever known inside out and losing money, people and narratives that had been etched deep into me since childhood. I didn't believe so for a long time. My primary emotional motivators were fear and guilt, as well as gaining approval from others. People in this schema often feel as though they are reacting, not acting upon life, feeling there is little to be done to change their situation or fix problems. It can be second nature to wait for a Lazarus resurrection moment. I think it's a common misconception that rebirth, talking about the death card again, uh, so in this case, a personal transformation, happens with ease. When Jonah is stuck in the belly of a whale, 
He prays for three days and nights until he is vomited out of the creature. I think we all know that being stuck in an unknown, unforgiving, dark space is never, as Jessica Dore has written, a promise of ease. It is only from encounters with death and re-emergence that a greater path reveals its new spine to us, and that with a different way, a fresh set of challenges will inevitably emerge. Ernest Hemingway has said, a coward dies a thousand times before his death, but the valiant taste of death but once. The past cannot be altered, but from our experiences and listening to our bodies, not numbing them, we may find the will that prompts us to indulge in newborn acts of courage, the Empress. It can seem like only in dreams that we are able to escape the harsh parts of our realities. Perhaps these can be precursors to us making changes in order to move on from old habits that cling to us like babies or beloved pets. In a medieval Welsh tale, I'm going to butcher the name here, but in a medieval Welsh tale from the Mabignon, while surrounded by a man-made castle of spears, shields and his chamberlains, the Emperor Maxon dreams of travelling to the end of a valley and reaching the highest mountain in the world. Upon reaching this peak that kissed the blue sky, he was gifted the flattest and loveliest land. A place where rivers flow into seas and from there he walked further on to the mouth of the loveliest <laughs> of the loveliest river anyone had ever seen. He then boarded a ship which led eventually to the loveliest island anyone had ever seen. To a land no one had ever been before and beyond that there lay an island buried into the sea. Deeper still, there was a land with a breathtaking forest and mountains. As he continued to wander, he came across a grand building, which he was permitted to enter, gleaming bright with golden delights that made you feel like you were melting into the richness of the sun. His dream was like walking into a Baroque painting sitting on a chair carved from the ivory of an elephant with the image of two eagles carved in was an old man with white hair dressed in the finest custom outfit and then he imagined the most beautiful woman sitting on a red gold chair she was looking at the white hot sun everything in him felt compelled to her but in the background he heard hounds straining to get at him and within moments just as he embraced the most beautiful person he had ever seen he woke from his dream upon waking he was filled with love for the woman he had only briefly known but loved for a week he was the saddest man alive and refused entertainment wine and company of others he slept as much as he could to get back to her. 
the men under his command were losing respect for him. And he told them simply that he could not, did not want to be a part of this world without the love, the woman he had dreamed of. He knew that she must be real. Maxon sent his men out to search far and wide for her for three years. They traced back the landscape in the Emperor's dreams. Miraculously, they found her in her gold-red chair. She was an empress and refused Maxon's men when they told her they would bring her to him. She was like, and I'm definitely paraphrasing here, no way. If he wants me, he's got to come to me. And interwoven into that is something about how we must go to and righteously earn things we covet the most in this life, or they could feel meaningless. The emperor in tarot can symbolize order, purpose, control. In the Mabignon, Emperor Maxon experiences solace in his dreams, which may have attempted to patch up the ragged seams of chaos and conflict in his waking life. Though no one has conscious control over their dreams, Maxon's served as a gateway to a love so pure and paved the road to work out how to find new ways of ruling and working with others. From letting go, a new power rose inside of him. It can be tempting to beat ourselves up or feel stuck in pernicious thought processes, two of swords, for what we know now but didn't know then. And when I say then, I mean times in our life that we've stuck in the freezer and occasionally thaw out to regret and brood upon. The moon is symbolic of the nighttime, which is when many of us can attempt to open up that freezer and peer melancholic into it. But it is also a time when we may dream our hearts out and boundaries can be made or broken. Oscar Wilde once wrote, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Multiple studies have drawn conclusions of dreaming as hyper-associational, unceasingly deviating between order and beauty chaos, strangeness, past reveries, and apprehensions of the future. Involving an extensive network of neural systems that are not constrained by the boundaries of waking consciousness, thus making new rooms in the spaces of our minds for the development of unfamiliar ideas and solutions to problems that have previously escaped us. Researchers such as Freud and Jung believe that Dreaming has deep roots, planted into the instinctual nature of our species, that are part of or interact with our primal emotions, unconsciously impelling our thoughts and actions. Young, but also a fair few of modern clinicians have spoken at length about conflicts of binary oppositions in dreams as symptomatic of failed psychological integration while dreams of union and coincidenta opisitorum symbolize growth, healing, and the emergence of wholeness. Conflicting dreams unlock the padlock to doors we never thought we'd find the keys to. 
There are answers we have yet to discover, but the evidence we have gathered thus far suggests that dreaming is not just some random neural nonsense from the brain, but that it is a creative and meaningful product of the imagination during sleep. Dream logic entwines embodied instinct and cosmic self-awareness, our lowest animal desires and our highest spiritual ambitions, as well as our bleakest fears and our most luminous joys, dominating a wider range of experiences and realities than is typically perceived by waking consciousness. Conflict in dreams can be emblematic of what we are fighting in reality, and though those who are in the subjugation schema tend to be conflict avoidant, to be perceived a certain way in the conscious plane, the only way to manage resentment and frustration is to have a conversation, not swallow the swords that stud our hearts, or quit a job, a person, whatever it may be. Sometimes you need to quit that job, for sure, but yeah let's go into it. Because more likely than not, the same set of patterns will creep into anything someone entangled in this schema does. Unless boundaries have been addressed, evidencing a fear of loneliness and previous toleration of behaviours that bruise us. Being an advocate for your own self-worth is tricky business for those who don't want to be perceived in negative light, or have scarcely been able to take a look at who they really are. We may think that if we set a boundary we lose out on approval, love or resources, so silent sacrifices are made. But that is why I guess I'm asking now, what are the emotional boundaries in play that are unhealthy for you? We are a bundle of patterns, some we aren't even aware of. Our habits limit what we can see, sense and know. And that can be almost impossible to change, unless we change our rituals. Taking an axe to break our normal state, tiny interruptions, little changes, can make a big difference over time. What we think we are is always evolving. We are malleable, and self-cultivation allows us to stop focusing on who we are, but what we can become. The Empress is an archetype that can show us the beauty of remembering how to be in our bodies when we have forgotten how. She shows us how beautiful and strong knowing our bodies, not running from them, can feel. The wilderness is in our bodies, as well as out in the forest or on an island by the sea. Doré has written of the Empress. Growing up in systems and households that encourage tolerating distress and regulating our emotions, sometimes we forget how to be with our bodies, hence disassociating. We numb with our phones, drugs, other people. Numbing is not healing. Yoga helps develop mind-body awareness. One of the best ways to motivate behavioral changes is to sit with the discomfort and listen to it. From here we can gauge whether we need to keep that behaviour or not. The capacity to experience how something truly feels can be much, a much bigger motivator than statistics and scientific explanations. The image in the Six of Swords gives us a ship to board, 
that can steer us away from the relationships and dynamics so that we have the opportunity to navigate our way from more stable ground. Swords in tarot can be weapons for discernment so that we can determine what our needs are as well as the needs of others. April Jeanette Mendez is a female wrestler who clearly set her boundaries and helped change a whole industry that had been taken the piss out for the taken the piss out of for years. When she tweeted that she thought it was pathetic that the WWE gave women less airtime to connect to fans and were therefore given less respect and money, the big bosses listened. A host of fans also voiced their desire for change, and it worked. When Mendes was 20, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Her mother also had the condition. She experienced devastating effects when misdiagnosed with depression, which for various reasons resulted in a suicide attempt. However, this implored her to seek proper treatment, and she credits the condition and her experiences for giving her the bravery to achieve her goals. Jeffrey Young, the pioneer in schema therapy has written, remember that your subjugation life trap has the strength of a lifetime of memories and a multitude of repetitions and confirmations that it is right. Subjugation feels right to you. Your life trap is central to your entire self image and view of the world. Naturally, it is going to fight very hard for survival. You find comfort and reassurance in holding on to your life trap, regardless of its negative consequences for your life. You should not become discouraged because change is slow. A final quick note on dreams. Dreams are heartfelt wishes, something you may not wish to admit to others. The mind telling stories to itself. They are the stories we tell ourselves of what could be, what could become. Perhaps some of us even dream of breaking the prosthetic boundaries of our unhelpful loops and taking on a bigger role. One of the things that has anchored me daily and helped many others, such as Doray, is yoga, meditation and exercising compassion instead of blame. It's helped to improve my memory, stress levels and very much helped me with maintaining sobriety from my addiction. I don't always let go of things or practice forgiveness successfully, but mindful practices strengthen our memory, as stated below, and selective attention, giving us the space to develop a new relationship to pain. Chogyam Trungpa states that meditation is not a matter of trying to achieve ecstasy, spiritual bliss or tranquility nor is it attempting to be a better person. It is simply the creation of a space in which we are able to expose and undo our neurotic games, our self-deceptions, our hidden fears and hopes. I want to end with the heaviness and lightness of Milan Kundera. His writing makes me want to live, sink, and let go of what I think others are thinking. His work prompts me to use my voice, even when I feel it carries no weight, and even if I don't half the time. We all have things we wish we said or did, and at times have lacked the courage when we needed it the most. Franz Kafka has written that a book should serve as the axe for the frozen sea within us. 
to end with Kundera. She had an overwhelming desire to tell him, like the most banal of women, don't let me go, hold me tight, make me your plaything, your slave, be strong. But they were words she could not say. The only thing she said when he released her from his embrace was, you don't know how happy I am to be with you. That was the most her reserved nature allowed her to express. Thank you if you got to the end. And uh, next month's schema is self-sacrifice. Yeah. Take care, guys. See you next month.